Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Now, it's interesting because when we think about a heifer, we think of, you know, the sacrifices that Israel had been instructed to do in the Mosaic Covenant. And we're going to see here that this heifer, God was going to use this as a substitute. And we know that there was a substitute. That's what the, the, the Levitical uh, priesthood was all about. That's what God was doing when we sinned instead of us dying, he would allow a substitute in our place. And that heifer was used in place of whoever was guilty of this man's life, of him dying. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Pastor Rob begins our study today in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, which documents reminders of God's law concerning reality of life issues. God's directions are specific for each problem. In unsolved murders, God instructs the priests to sacrifice a heifer as atonement for the nation of Israel. This heifer was a substitutionary sacrifice to satisfy the sin connected to this death. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are familiar with his substitutionary sacrifice of his life in order for us to be redeemed and forgiven of our sin. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that, Lord, you'd open it to us, and, Lord, that you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 21. As you can see, we're going to be taking communion this evening. It kind of took me by surprise. I put the schedule together, and I promptly forgot that we were going to do it tonight. So bear with me. Um, But tonight we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 21. Last week we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 20. And it really spoke of principles governing warfare. I like, I like to call them the rules of engagement for the children of Israel as they would go into battle, as they would go in to dispossess those seven nations that were bigger than they. And so God needed to give them very clear direction on what to do and what not to do. And you remember that those nations that they were going to dispossess, they were to wipe out everything, man, woman, child, Every living thing that had breath in it, they were to wipe it out. And why is that? You know, I, when, I, when I share that, especially when you talk about children, it's really hard for our, our mind in the 21st century and our culture to think that God would allow such a thing. But God is a God of justice. He's a God of grace. And I want you to know that I believe with those young children who are young and they didn't know anything yet, I believe that when they were extinguished that they went to glory. 
Now think of what would happen if they continued for many years and continued brought up in their, in their parents' home and they become idolaters and pagans and they were given the truth and they rejected it. Now when they die, guess where they would go? They would go to hell and they'd be separated from God for eternity. So is God gracious when he takes uh, an infant like that? I believe he is. And again, that's very hard for us to, to understand. But God was also going to give rules engagement for just other wars, not the lands necessarily that they would dispossess, but other wars, that people that they would, would come in and try to attack them or places where God would tell them to go invade. There was a different set of rules. And because the Amorites, the, the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full, and that's why God kept them. He allowed them to stay in Egypt for 430 years. And the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Those people in the, in the land of Canaan, in that area, they, they, they were, God was giving them space to repent. And aren't you glad that you serve a God who gives you space to repent? He doesn't just come down on a lightning bolt and exact punishment on you because that's what I deserve. That's what we deserve. But in his grace, he is very kind. And sometimes we mistake that grace for license. We, we, we mistake that grace for him condoning a certain action that we may be doing. But God did never condone sin. So whenever you have sinned and you don't see the, the reward of your punishment coming immediately on the heels of whatever it is that you've done, understand that that's God's grace. He's giving you time to turn away from that and to confess it and to come into agreement with him and then to confess it. And isn't that what the Bible says? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, not only to forgive us all of our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the best deal going. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Because the other news is not so good, because God is holy. He said, the soul that sins shall surely die. And that is true. You will surely die spiritually. You'll die a slow death. God gave us so much, and we forfeited it in the garden, and we continue to perpetuate that sinful lifestyle, that sinful heart, that sinful soul that we were born with continued to perpetuate throughout history. And here we are today, and aren't you glad that you were saved? I'm so glad that God saw me in my decrepit state when I was 24 years old. In the midst of my sin, he reached down and plucked me out like a brand from the fire, just like he did for you. And see, that's how wonderful he is. And so as we get into chapter 21 here in Deuteronomy, after speaking about the rules of engagement when they would go into war or when they would go into dispossessed lands, now God gives them commandments about what to do when they found a human body lying out in the field somewhere. And so we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at uh, how the, the children of Israel, how they were going to respond to female captives. Not the captives that were uh, in those nations that they inherited. That They were supposed to wipe them all out, right? I mean, we know that to be true. But there are other cities that they would battle against, and they were able to take captives. After, they, after the battle, the men might have died. But what do you do with these ladies, these, these women, who were, their husbands have died? What do you do with them, and what's the rules concerning them? What's the rule of the firstborn inheritance? What are the rights of a firstborn? And what do you do with a rebellious son? What do you do with a rebellious son? And then he gives us other things to consider. And so let's just get right into it. He says, If anyone is found slain lying in the field on the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, 
Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer which has not been worked and has not been pulled with a yoke, and the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with flowing water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley." And then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless the name of the Lord. And by their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of the city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And then they shall answer and say this, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. An atonement shall be provided on your behalf for the blood. So shall you put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Pretty interesting, isn't it? And it makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I love about the book of Deuteronomy, remember, it is a second telling of what's already been told. And usually it's in briefer form than what we learned about in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. In fact, Deuteronomy really kind of is like a, a summary of those chapters, of, the, of that history. And why is he given this second history again? And we've said this again, but I, I need to share it again. Because he's sharing it with a generation. Remember the generation that had perished out in the desert for 40 years. They'd been wandering around in unbelief, testing God. God was proving them in the desert. And then finally, that whole generation passes. Now they've got these young kids growing up. And now they're standing at the threshold on the east side of the Jordan River. They're looking over and they can see Jericho. And it's the first city they're going to encounter. But prior to that, God tells Moses, recap everything that they've learned. Recap everything that I showed their parents. Give them an understanding of what's happened so that they don't repeat it again, so that they don't get into trouble. Tell them what's coming, Moses. Tell them the things that I shared with their family, with their forefathers, everything that's going to happen because they needed to be prepared. That's what a good shepherd does. He goes and he prepares for his people. And so Moses, being a faithful shepherd, even though he had his mistakes, by God's leading, he tells the people these things. And so tonight we're just going to be looking at it. So the laws concerning an unsolved murder. There's a corpse laying out in the, in, the, in the field somewhere. So if anyone is slain lying in the field of the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess, and it's not known who killed him, then your elders, your judges, shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And that makes sense, right? If you see a dead body, you look around, and perhaps you can tell without measuring, really with a, some kind of measuring device that they might have, you know, they didn't have these long measuring tapes like the fancy carpenters have nowadays, you know, the 25, 50-footers, you know, with the magnetic end that sticks to the pole. They didn't have anything like that, so they had some way of measuring. So they would look around, and they look at all the cities surrounding and say, which city is closest where this man is lying? And that just makes sense, because chances are that man may have been f- fleeing from that place or was near that area and somehow got into trouble. So when it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man, they'll take a heifer. Now, a heifer is a female calf. We know that. And they will take the heifer which has not been worked and which has not pulled with a yoke yet. So this is one that is just brand new in a sense, hasn't, had any, hasn't been broken at all. 
And the elders of that city, verse 4, shall bring the heifer down to a valley with flowing water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Now, it's interesting because when we think about a heifer, we think of, you know, the sacrifices that Israel had been instructed to do in the Mosaic Covenant. And we're going to see here that this heifer, God was going to use this as a substitute. And we know that there was a substitute. That's what the, the, the Levitical priesthood was all about. That's what God was doing when we sinned. Instead of us dying, he would allow a substitute in our place. And that heifer was used in place of whoever was guilty of this man's life, of him dying. And so God would allow that. In fact, in the very the first mention that we hear of this idea of a heifer is in Genesis chapter 15. You remember in Genesis chapter 15, God, uh, it was a covenant that God made with Abram, and it was concerning his son Isaac being his heir. As, and when yet, Abram and Sarai, they, they didn't have any children. They were old, and they were uh, without children. And so God told him this promise that, your descendants are going to inherit all this land. And he spells out the parameters of the land from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates. And he gives the dimensions of it. All your descendants. And he's like, Lord, I don't have anything but this Eliezer. He's the only one in my house who could inherit anything. So how is this going to be, my descendants? And so God tells him. He says, your descendants are going to do this. And it's not going to be from Eliezer, Abram. And I'm going to give you a son, And that son is going to have sons, and that son is going to have sons, and your descendants. And you remember, God made a covenant with Abram. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 9, God told him, he says, Bring me a a three-year-old heifer, this female cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And we look at all these sacrifices. This kind of encapsulates all the different kinds of animals that Israel in its Levitical priesthood might have sacrificed. And God gets all of them together, and he tells Abram to cut them in half. And this sounds kind of weird, but they cut them in half, and they lay the pieces, one on that side and one on the other. And what they would do is whenever a covenant was made between two parties, they would take the life of an animal and separate it, and they would walk through the halves of that. And basically they're saying, whatever we're committing to right now, whatever covenant we are making right now, Let it be like this animal if either one of us breaks this covenant. And so when they walk through those pieces, then they are basically saying, on my own life, let this happen to me if I don't fulfill that covenant, that oath that I have made. And you'll notice as you read in Genesis chapter 15 that this is a unilateral covenant (laughs) because Abram doesn't walk through those pieces. What does God do? The wisest thing in the world. He puts man to sleep. He puts him to sleep which is a very good thing, because men need naps, especially after dinner. And so he puts Abram to sleep, and then Abram has this vision, and then when he wakes up, you know, it's dark, and he can see this, this, this furnace-like thing passing through those pieces. It was God's presence moving through all by himself. Abram had nothing to do with it, because God made the covenant to Abraham. Abraham had to believe it by faith, but God says, I'm going to do this for you. This is a, a, a covenant that I'm going to make with you. It's going to be something that I'm going to do. It's, um, I forget the name, but it doesn't really matter. I'm going to do it for you, Abram. This is what's going to happen. And so that was the very first mention of this heifer. And then we hear about the heifer here, and this is the second time we hear of 
of a heifer, not the red heifer, but just a heifer. But we know in Numbers 19, there was the ordinance of the red heifer. And Israel today, are, they're, they're, they claim to have found a red heifer, and they are uh, breeding this heifer and taking very good care of it. It probably lives better than any of you and I do. And, and they're getting ready. They're getting ready. And unfortunately, the temple that they're getting ready for is a temple that the Antichrist is going to be t- um, taking place in, all right? And that's just the deception that the Jews, unfortunately, have on them right now. But this red heifer was for use for purification. They would take the red heifer. They would take it outside the camp. They would burn the entire thing. They would take the ashes of that red heifer, and they would use it as part of a ritual for purification of sin. And I love this because, uh, you know, as we look at these, these elders of the city washing their hands over this heifer, basically what they're saying is, I am no longer guilty of this. I'm not guilty of this sin, of this murder, of this life, of this person. And God is atoning for that, that sin by causing them to put the heifer to death. And then they would wash their hands over it, basically saying, we're not guilty of this murder. And God would accept that atonement on their behalf. Can you see the symbolism in it and the life for the life? And then washing the hands over it, saying, you remember Pilate when he washed his hands of Jesus? He said, I washed my hands of this. You know, he was guilty because <laughs> he let them do it. But he, he tried to absolve himself from any wrongdoing by going through some kind of ritual, but it didn't work. But I love the symbolism of it because it says in Hebrews, If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so as we go through Deuteronomy, we're going to see these pictures, and they ought not to escape our minds because they are very... They're, very, they're there for, on purpose. God puts them in there because he's basically saying, remember when Jesus said, Behold, in the volume of the book it is written of me, on every page you can find some facet, some, something about Jesus in here in the Old Testament through the, the coverings of the temple, through the sacrifices. They all point to him. And it says in verse 5 here in Deuteronomy 21, it says, Then the priests, the sons of Levi... They shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. For their very word, or by their every word, controversy and every assault shall be settled. And you know, there's nothing really better than the family of God having to be in the place of being a judge. I mean, if you think about it. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that even in our Supreme Court and everything like that, I hope that there are believers in that Supreme Court. But wouldn't it be wonderful? Think of how different things would be if believers, if the whole, you know, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, can you imagine what would happen if they were all born-again believers and as much as they were digging into their law books, they were reading the Word of God? Can you imagine? They would have the best, we would have the best government on the earth because they would be going by the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. But that, that is not the case, unfortunately, But every word would be settled by these Levites. And all the elders, verse 6, of that city nearest to the slain man, they shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck has been broken. And you know, when you think of this, you know, these men, they were innocent of the blood guiltiness of this person. And when you 
think upon this, it reminds me back in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve had sinned. What did God do? He took the, the blood of an animal. He slaughtered an animal. God unilaterally slaughtered an animal for the sin of Adam and Eve. And we know that he did that because he took skins of the animal. It doesn't mention the act of what God did. He said he took the skins of an animal. Well, if you take the skins of an animal, that animal first has to die. Otherwise, it could be really crazy. How are you going to take the skin of an animal that's still alive? I mean, think of that goose chase, God trying to run around the garden, trying to grab a hold of this thing. It's not going to happen. (laughs) I think crazy things like that. And you get to hear them. Aren't you blessed? Just nod your head, yes, we are blessed. But that is why God slaughtered that animal, and blood was shed on their behalf. These leaders. Now, the slayer could have been from another town, and that's okay, because nobody knew who the slayer was. But the, 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 the town that was closest to this body, those elders would take responsibility. And I like that, too. I like the idea of a community taking responsibility. Would to God that we did more of that today. But unfortunately, it seems like we've gotten complacent and lazy, even as people, as Americans. It's somebody else's problem. I don't go to the town hall meetings. That's somebody else's thing. I'm, I'm going to stay out of politics. Well, you know, there's probably a time and a place to stay out of things like that. But, you know, I don't think we should always bury our head in the sand either because things are being passed in our cities and towns that we're, we're just allowing to fly by and we're not even aware of what's going. There's no... There's no voice that's uh, representing Christ. Where's God in that? (laughs) And yet we just let it go. And, you know, how is it that, you know, even in our state, our wonderful state of New York, how is it that there can be passed a law that babies still in the womb can be killed and even after birth can be killed and it's okay? It's not okay. God calls it murder. But the fact that a community took charge and they took it upon themselves, it was their responsibility. And what do they say in verse 7? Then they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel, and atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. I love the word atonement. The first mention of this word is in Genesis chapter 6. But the idea of atonement is to purge or to reconcile, to pacify, and uh, to cancel, to expiate. That's what it means, to forgive, to cleanse, to disannul, to appease. And the first time we hear it, I think it's kind of interesting, is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. Remember when it says, God told to Noah, he said, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood and make rooms in the ark and cover it. The word, the same word for atonement that we're reading in this verse is the same word back in here in Genesis 6. He says, and cover it. The word cover literally means to atone, to cover it inside and outside with pitch. So there's a slimy mortar that they're going to put on the outside of the ark and on the inside. And obviously that makes sense to keep the water from coming in, in between those boards. To cover, to make to appease, to, to conceal, to hide, to keep out. 
And I love the fact that God is concerned about life. He's concerned about righteousness. And he says in verse 9 here, So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And isn't that what our joy is, to do right? You know, isn't it a wonderful thing to do right? To know what God says and then to do it. Isn't there a wonderful feeling that you have in your heart? I know I do. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.